Welcome to What Has My Attention, and this is John Beethan. Yeah, like we have to learn the rules first so that we can break them in a certain sense. And so obviously we have to adhere to certain formulas or whatever that works for a while. But if you've gotten to where you've mastered that, then eventually you can break it so that that's what brings in a lot of innovation too, to to music or writing or visual arts, you know that you can really explore. And you see that with like the 12 tone composers of the 20th century, you know, where they kind of took it, you know, where they played with the math of, of, of music. And maybe it doesn't always sound the best, you know, Weyburn isn't my personal favorite sounding, but it's a fascinating, you know, musical kind of experiment, if you will, that had a huge impact on the 20th century music field, you know. Have you ever been talking with somebody and they ask you, tell me something about yourself that not many people know? When I'm asked that question, I usually respond by letting people know that from a very early age, I studied music. I was first inspired by Liberace on the television at the age of five, where my mother said I would sit in front of the TV watching him play and cry. Not out of pain, but out of joy. So Ashley Rescott, who's my guest today, is a musician by trade, a third-generation musician who started playing violin at two. Her pianist grandmother was also a writer and taught her how to write. Ashley's always been fascinated by anything that has to do with music and or how it intersects with writing or language and literature. And this is what has my attention. Visit the episode notes for all of the links mentioned today in my conversation with Ashley. Ashley Rescott, welcome to What Has My Attention. How are you? I am great. Thanks so much, John, for having me. Oh, it's you have no idea how excited I am to have you on this episode. Yeah. Oh, thanks. Yes. And Ashley and I met each other through uh, Kent Sanders' Daily Writer Writing Group. Which uh, I love little... that group. <laughs> yes, I know. And I noticed that when you're on it, you're also uh, mitigating, like uh, dealing with children and everything that's going on <laughs> in your life. You're a very busy woman. So I really appreciate your time. Really do. Yeah, multitasking. <laughs> yep. So for anybody who wants to know more about Ashley, just go to um, rescottcreative.com. You can read her bio and all that stuff there. But Honestly, what has your attention? Well, uh, I just thought I'd tell you a little bit about my background. I am a musician by trade. So I started playing violin uh, when I was two years old. My mom is a violin teacher and I'm actually a third generation violinist. So, or third generation musician, sorry. My grandmother is a pianist. And so I, music always has my attention. <laughs> ever since I was little. Yeah. And then I, I my um, pianist grandmother, she's also a writer. So she started teaching me how to write. So I've always been fascinated by anything that has to do with music or how it intersects with um, writing or language and literature. I love how the arts, I think they're all intertwined. So I've always been fascinated by that kind of interdisciplinary nature of the arts. Yeah. And then I, I enjoy singing as well. And I took many years of piano 
too. So it's definitely a, a form of self-expression for me, as is writing. I think they yeah. both kind of serve a similar purpose in that regard. Uh-huh. So what do you mostly write about? This whole idea of you're writing novels, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. So what are kind of the subject matters? And actually, you can talk about a book that you've written that's available to anybody out there. So, uh, you know, I, I just, just so people know, I, I, um, I was listening to Kent Sanders' Daily Writer podcast for several months and decided to jump in the group. Oh, and, yes. And I did this because I wanted to learn to write so that I could actually write my solo episodes and stuff like that for the podcasts I do. Oh, cool. Yeah. yeah. And then I was so pleased to, to see you there. And then this whole idea of music history, novels and all that, just like, oh, my gosh, really? So talk about one of your books and, and the process you went through and why you wrote that particular book. Yeah. Well, I recently um, just released a collection of short stories that are, I'm, I'm labeling it music fiction. And so everybody kind of says, write what you know, right? And yeah. so I was thinking, well, I know music. That's my my um, background. And so for the short stories, I created a, a fictional university, a fictional like uh, music school and I have a bunch of college students and I try to show their their different instruments and kind of envision different scenarios for them within the music school. And I actually use that same setting for my upcoming novel that'll be coming out in the fall called nice. A Change in Tune. And in that one, I really will drill down more into the stories of this kind of the string department. So my yeah. leading lady, she's a violinist. Her kind of rival sister is a violist. And the um, love interest is the cellist. He's uh, yeah, he's a cello player. So I will really kind of bring in the dynamics of, um, you know, chamber music, orchestra and solo playing like a concerto competition uh, mm. for them to, to compete against each other in the mm. concerto competition. And nice. that really brings out a lot of drama and questions about what's your role as a friend or sister or um, things like that. So wow. and I'm wow. really trying to show various various uh, famous classical works, not just classical, but a lot of classical works. Mm -hmm. So if people listen to like the playlist that goes along with it, hopefully they can enjoy, you know, some of these famous works by whether it's Beethoven or Sasson, Tchaikovsky. Uh, there's several different ones. Um, so you must have a favorite. You, you must have a favorite, right? Yes. So mine is not the traditional favorite. Mm -hmm. uh, mine is actually Camille Saint-Saëns. He's a French composer from the 19th century. I don't know if you've listened to his works before or not. Little, oh, you have? A, okay, a, which... a little bit. But, you know, after this, of course, I'm going to go listen for a day straight. Oh, there you go. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Well, he's especially famous for, well, the Carnival of the Animals, which is great for younger children. My book is geared a little bit more towards high school, college, um, but my children are six and two, and they absolutely love, there's a book of the Carnival of the Animals that came out recently where you can, it's a story about two little boys that travel through their bookshelf into a world of animals and you can press the different buttons and it will play like the section that's supposed to sound like the elephants or the section that's supposed to sound like uh, dinosaur fossils. And so I love Sanson's creativity and how he was able to engage even the youngest of children mm -hmm. with these uh, personifications of, 
of animals. And then um, I I like Halloween. So there's a Halloween scene where we do Sanson's um, Dolce Macabre. And mm. so the soloist is supposed to play what sounds like this spooky uh, dance with death, really. And mm. it's personified with a violin. I don't know how much you know about it, but you actually tune down your highest string to where you play two strings together and it plays a tritone, which is known as the devil's interval. <laughs> yes, so I know. It's a really it, it, chord. Yeah, tritone is two full steps. So just so you yes. know, so you, we can speak the same language. I um, studied music at Portland State University when I was pretty young. So oh, I, wow. Yeah, I studied pretty seriously classical guitar for about five years. Okay, so then, yeah, you know all this. And I was <laughs> learning... I was learning the adaptations of the uh, Bach cello suites as an example. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. But then <laughs> I fell in, yeah. And long before that, when I was 14, I was playing electric guitar, uh, electric bass in a rock and roll band, playing nice. like Led Zeppelin and the Doors. Yes. But then it was later the classical guitar. But then after that became the harpsichord. Really? So, yeah. And I still have a piano and play blues and jazz. But, oh, this is fascinating. Yep, and I can read music. So now you know you don't have to hold back anything. When you talk about okay. a tritone, we know that that's that dissonant interval. Yes. Right? It's oh, like yeah. It's like the C to F sharp. Is that right? Um, well, it can be, it, yeah, it can be that. In this case, it's an A to an E flat in the Sasson piece. Um, and, yeah. but yeah, like that, that distance and it just is kind of strident and the medievalists, you know, literally thought of it as like the devil's interval because it was just so, um, uh, it's in between the perfect fourth and the perfect fifth. Right. Mm -hmm. And so it's right in between. Mm -hmm. And so I use that as kind of a tension point. Uh, mm -hmm. so in my novel, that's like my turning point for the, um, you know, like your first big plot point, if you will, I use mm -hmm. that, that, uh, work as kind of a turning point for the, the leading lady. Um, and so that's kind of a fun one. And then Sanson continues to play a role throughout it. So she ends up deciding to compete with the Sanson Violin Concerto, which is uh, my personal favorite because that's what I competed on when I was in high school. And I played that for my um, concerto solo as a senior in high school. And actually I have- Do you have a recording mm -hmm. of it? I I do yes Ooh. of what I played the first movement for with the orchestra and then I played the third movement for my high school uh, senior um, reci solo recital. Love so it. I'll Love have it. to. I, I'm planning on releasing those on YouTube at some point. So yeah. they're not perfect, but <laughs> of course not. But uh, um, just uh, going back to the tritone, I wanted to let you know that um, I joined the Portland State Choir, mm -hmm. and oh. we had it. Yeah, we had a performance with the Oregon Symphony of Benjamin Britten's War Requiem. Do you know that piece? Oh, wow. Okay, I know Britten, but I'm not sure if I've heard the War Requiem. It's really gorgeous, but there is a point in that, and this is going to be a little metaphysical, but... That's all right. <laughs> and I, I was a tenor, but there's a point in the piece of music where there's this austere tritone. And I swear to God to you, we're, we're performing this at the... Uh, Oh, I can't remember where, but it was it was a big uh, the big um, performance area down in Portland, and you know, crowds full. Um, Lawrence Smith was a conductor conducting the symphony and the choir, and there's this point where the tritone comes, and we just sing the tritone, and I swear to God, all of a sudden I saw this 
halo around the symphony and Lawrence Smith yeah. and us. It was just like, it was so visceral and deep in me. That's that, crazy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So interesting. Anyway, it has that kind of effect on people. Yeah. Well, yeah. actually, every morning I wake up with music, I go to bed with music. So who's your favorite composer then? Oh, gosh, I really <laughs> used to like Stravinsky. Oh, yeah. Like Rite of Spring or a different yeah, one? Yeah, Rite of Spring. But I got to tell you that when I was at Portland State, um, I fell in love with a second chair violinist for the Junior Symphony. And, oh, really? And, oh, yeah. And I still know her. And but you have to understand. Does she still play? What's that? Does she still play? Uh, she's playing viola. And I think okay. I think um, I want to say kind of Irish music at this point. Like kind of Celtic wrong. fiddling or something. Yeah. Or? Oh, yeah. Nice. But um, I mentioned it because I knew I wanted to study music. So I enrolled in Portland State University. But I swear I had never really ever heard classical music. And she introduced me one day on my vinyl you know, record player and sound system, uh, Beethoven's Ninth Symphony. Oh, yes. And so after that, it was just like my life totally. You were one over. Oh, God. oh, yeah. The ninth is just, I mean, really after that, I think I'm going to address this concept in my in my book mm. um, because I have a I have a professor that, well, I have the conductor doubling as professor. And he talks about how after Beethoven, especially after his ninth, a lot of composers were kind of like, where do we go from here? You know, he's no. already brought, you know, the combination of vocals and instrumentals and just really reached this height in music. And they, the you know, the impressionists and everybody that kind of had to follow or even the romantics who, who had to follow, they had to kind of invent newer tonalities because mm. Beethoven, in a certain sense, had had reached what they thought was musical perfection, you know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, where but, did it go? Where did it go from there? Well, you, you, you still have obviously the romantics that that followed him. Uh, like, I mean, your Tchaikovsky and, and mm -hmm. um, even you know, Saint-Saëns. But then eventually, you know, you'll go into the late 19th century, into the Impressionism, where they really messed with the tonalities and the the chords. And it didn't have to follow the same chordal progressions as often. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, morphing into the 20th century with, you know, Schoenberg and, well, and Stravinsky. Yeah. And, yeah. So, so let's go. Let's go back to your book. What's the name of the book again? A change in tune. A change in tune. So how yes. did the how how does the title uh, kind of coincide with the the book itself? Right. Well, as you know, most novels you want to take your character on a journey, and so my protagonist, I wouldn't say she was the easiest of my characters to write. Uh, I actually have it with five sisters mm -hmm. and she's the oldest of the five and I'm, I'm the oldest of the five in my family. Now they're not direct parallels with each of my sisters, but the collective whole is supposed to be kind of similar to us, but she is a perfectionist. I try to I tried to use the Enneagram uh, in oh, cool. my characters. So cool. she would be a one. So very much that perfectionist person wants her, her playing to be, you know, just so, so she's a bit of a challenging personality at the beginning mm -hmm. and she doesn't get along very well with her second sister 
who is more the creative, wants to be different. She's the violist. And of course they have the whole violin viola rivalry. Uh, And so she really has to kind of have a change in tune, a change of heart, right? Towards her sister. So you see that evolution of their relationship, which was really originally at the crux of my, of my novel was really more the sister relationship. Mm -hmm. However, it's also going to be a romance. And so the cellist, he, well, you'll you'll see there's there's a reason at the end of the novel where he does something that re- relates to a change in tune um, for her. So and he's really kind of the sweetheart of that trio. Uh, fortunately, my developmental editor recommended I write part of it from his perspective. I originally just had it from Victoria is is the leading lady. And she it was originally just from her perspective. And my developmental editor was like, hey, why don't you try, you know, for romance? Why don't you bring in your hero's? perspective as well and he's a he's a bit more likable um, as a character <laughs> he'd be the i don't know if you studied the enneagram a lot he's an enneagram yeah, three so, okay so he's the performer you know suave yep thir- you know enneagram three personality and then um the, the rival sister she's a four she's the creative individualist you know romantic personality do you have any and she's a bit of a trip <laughs> as well yeah do you have any sixes in there Yes. So my I'm envisioning this being a five book series where each of the sisters will get to have her own book. So and then I have four men that are kind of the so I have five lead girls in a certain mm-hmm. sense. And then I have four leading men for the nine Enneagram types. So, yeah, the fourth sister is my six. And so she's the one that she's the pianist in the book. And she's kind of like doesn't like to be on stage. She doesn't want to be the center of attention. She's actually a phenomenal pianist. And I've seen this with a lot of students where, you know, you get some of them that they're like, I like to play or, you know, I like to play for myself in my bedroom, but I don't like to get in front of people. It makes me nervous. And she's the bookworm. She's the one always curled up with the book, you know, on the couch or whatever. I'm a six. Okay. So you love to play. Do you like to perform? <laughs> um. No, but that's starting to change, actually. Really? So what makes you kind of a six? Like, what would you say? Well, um, you know, I, I'm oh, you more... <laughs> no, 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 it's fine. I, I just have to go inside a little bit. To, yeah. I'm trying to like, uh, what about sixes means I'm a six? And I can only talk about who I am. I don't, you know, I, my perspective constantly, and you've heard me say before, is labeled you don't like labels. Pickle jar. <laughs> Yep, I've heard right. that. So I'm a I'm a double Leo in, in astrology. So I'm a Leo sun and a Leo moon. Okay. And Capricorn rising. So what that means is that, yes, I like to be out front and shine. But the truth is, um, I actually like to be behind the scenes. So I'm a really good producer. Just, nice. you know, helping helping the people on the stage, so to speak, or whatever. Or somebody right. like you. To actually just shine. That's how I shine. I shine by helping right. other people shine. So that makes that, sense. As you know, in the building a story brand model, I'm a pretty good guide, right? Oh, yes. Yes. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Sixes are so wonderful. And I think, um, although, like you said about labels, I think we all want to strive to have some of, you know, each of the characteristics yeah. in our personality. Really, I mean, ideally, we don't want to just be the one or just be the three, you know, we're trying to 
morph into a more holistic person. And obviously my characters throughout the story were hoping to, but the, the Enneagram still was some great fodder for giving the characters, you know, their, their flaw and their drive and yeah. all those sorts of things. So my six is a sweetheart and I envision her actually, um, she's the writer of the family and I, I see her being the last of the, she'll finish up the series is the plan that she's oh, the, the writer in the end. So are there any other characters with Enneagram numbers that kind of jump out to you? Yeah. So the, well, the villain is of course an eight. I feel so badly. Uh, poor eights. I feel like they get a bad rep. Uh, when I, you know, took the Enneagram test, the eight was the one I least identified with. I could see myself in a lot of him and I, but I'm trying to learn to appreciate eights, you know, for their ability to stand up for what, you know, they believe is right and everything. Um, so, but yes, my villain, uh, there's the rival sister who's the four, but then there's the like straight up classic villain who's the eight mm. and so he is kind of the the foil to victoria and he plays cacheturian for the concerto competition i don't know if you've studied cacheturian but i mean his violin concerto it's one of my sister's favorites i've had two sisters who have played it i don't think i could play it it's just crazy and it doesn't sound like it follows always the same tonalities that my ear is anticipating but it is fantastic uh work mm -hmm. and very challenging to play Mm -hmm. uh, so he's he's definitely he'd be the Draco Malfoy of, of, of the book <laughs> but my developmental editor goes I know I'm supposed to hate him but she's like you gave him the best lines <laughs> Oh, so he's he's funny and then yeah we've got um the, the sweetheart girl is probably the two Marie and she's a fiddler in the book she plays second violin in the quartet so she's like you said, she's more, she's the helper. She wants to help everyone else feel good. She's more laid back. She plays fiddle. She doesn't feel like she has to be the leader, but she's probably the one that most readers gravitate towards mm -hmm. uh, in terms of like when my cousins read it and she's like, oh, I see myself as, as Marie. And so she's more your, your best, she's like the best friend kind of person. I think that's yeah that everybody likes. And then her, uh, well, love interest eventually will be the five character, the investigator. And he doesn't play a big role in this book, but he's, um, I don't know, if I, get, I, I thought of Little Women. That's my favorite right. book. And so he'd be kind of the Laurie character. He's like the brother the girls never had. And so he's the investigator five and always kind of wants to be part of their family and stuff. So I think that'll be a fun couple to explore uh, a few books down the road. So, yeah. yeah. It's very exciting. It's very, very exciting. Yeah. So what, what else about this journey? I mean, uh, obviously you're a writer, you're a musician. Do you, let me ask you this. Do you ever listen to any jazz by any chance? Oh, I love jazz. Okay. Yes. Great. Now, now yes. you got my attention. I, uh, I took a jazz improv class in college really? where I learned scat singing. <laughs> yes. Oh, fun. So yeah. Ella Fitzgerald and, Etta James and Sarah Vaughn. I had to listen to a lot of them and try to imitate, you know, their vocal prowess. <laughs> yeah. What about instrumentalists? Yes. Well, like Regina Carter for violin. I love mm -hmm. her jazz and obviously all the classics for the brass, um, mm -hmm. you know, Louis Armstrong and all the, the greats, you know, mm -hmm. who's your favorite or Don Coltrane? Oh, man. I listen to a lot of music, but the all-time favorite is actually probably Keith Jarrett, pianist. Oh, okay. What, what did he play? I should probably know this. Uh, pianist. 
jazz pianist. pianist. Uh, I first heard him when I was like 25 years old. Oh, neat. And uh, he did an album called Live at Cone, I think was the name of it. Oh, cool. The album I really love is uh, Jazz Standards Volume 2. Oh, nice. Uh, God, it's brilliant. But then recently I've been listening to a, going through the whole catalog of Pat Metheny. As an instrumentalist and a violinist, I don't know if you've listened to him very much. For some reason not. Pat, what was his wow. name again? Pat Metheny. And this is the violinist. I better look him up. No, no, Pat no, no. He's a, he's a guitarist. Sorry. Oh, I thought you said he was a violinist. I was like, man. No, he's a guitarist. Oh, but guitar, a jazz guitarist. Okay. Jazz guitarist. Um, the Pat Metheny group. Um, okay. I think he won a Grammy. I don't remember when for even which album. Actually, um, Storybook or something like that. But here's the thing is he uses a lot of electronics. Not always. It, and it always reminds me. It, it could be transposed to violin. Oh, it kind of has, nice. it kind of has that thing to Strings. it. I mean, that melodic. Well, it's melodic. Very melodic. Yeah. Which really is helpful for violin. Sometimes people think violinists can play certain songs. And then if it doesn't have that melody, I mean, it's not that they can't play it, but it's a lot, it's a lot harder. Yeah. yeah. And then years ago, I listened to Jean-Luc Ponte. Okay. Or the French classically trained violinist that uh flipped the jazz nice. so he was in my day which i'm older than you are i'm sure like in the uh, right. 70s he was really really well known in the music arena oh nice yeah. yeah so you're yeah you're really well rounded in a lot of different genres then which is nice i listen to everything as long as it's good yes okay that makes sense yeah and that's one of my goals i think in my writing is to help encourage musicians or music aficionados to to explore different genres and you know not to be just stuck in the classical genre or not just be in pop and oblivious to these other genres you know that really we can we can explore these different ones and i think as a violinist i've had to be really versatile you know to be able to play mm -hmm. different genres that you know classical is my background but i really enjoy learning improvisation so i i have a good ear so i i'm highly auditory in fact very heavily mostly auditory learner and yeah. so that helps a lot with kind of the jazz and it helps with improvisation for whether it's like worship music or jazz music or improvising with pop music that makes a big a big difference so well as a performing musician and a teacher and also a writer but let's talk a little bit about your students Yes. Oh, they're so fun. I I love teaching. At, I've taught different ages and levels. At the moment, I have a lot of kind of that fifth and sixth grade students. And so we've been working a lot. Well, trying to get their beef up their sight reading because I do teach. I don't know if you've heard of the Suzuki. Well, I'm sure you have. Sure. Suzuki method. And so it does rely a lot on the ear at the beginning. But this past year, we've really had to um, work on their sight reading more so that they're not just relying on their teacher since we've had to do a lot virtually. And so they've, I've done quite a bit for their, their sight reading and trying to expose them to, you know, some of the famous works. A lot of their books will have like little snippets of like the violin, Beethoven violin concerto or, mm -hmm. you know, Haydn's surprise symphony or something like that. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I, I think teaching is definitely one of the re most rewarding parts of the profession for me. I, I just love seeing the next generation learn about 
these classics and see them kind of take take the stage. Uh, there's just something rewarding about seeing that, sure. seeing them learn these things, and, yeah. and you see the future. You know, the future of the music setting. Uh, but I do try to have them be well-rounded in different genres. So not just classical, but like they, right now, a lot of them are playing like from a Disney violin book. We, oh, yeah. um, you know, we'll do Christmas concerts. So I try to make sure they know their their Christmas music and we do some fiddle periodically and uh, some, yeah, worship style music for some of them who want to play at church. Uh, I need to work with them more on the improvisation. That's mm-hmm. one of the skills I'm hoping to work with them a bit more this summer. That takes a different, you know, a different way of thinking to to come up with your own music and to listen to the background and then see what you can come up with from there. So mm-hmm. that'll be kind of fun. So for your students, what do you think is the most important thing they need to know? What's the number one thing? From a more philosophical level or a technical level? Let's do one of each. Okay. From a technical level as a violinist, I'd say your intonation (laughs) is pretty important. It just, you know, if you're not in tune, people have a harder time, like, you know, latching on. Rhythm and all of that's important, but um, they might let you. Well, if you're out of tune, that it really, on a violin, kind of screams loudly, doesn't it? Yes, it just kind of grates on your ears. So I'd probably say that for violin. Now, obviously for piano, you know, <laughs> you, yeah, it's if you're out of tune, it's not your fault. You know? <laughs> so, And then from a philosophical level, I think I want them to learn it as a form of self-expression, just like what I would say for writers as well. Mm-hmm. That's that's a big reason I do these art forms, you know, and I think that's a big reason painters and, you know, the visual arts too. So learning to use it to tell a story, that's, that's what I think is fun. And I see their eyes light up when I tell them and envision a story or some of the, the songs when my teacher told me little funny narratives to go with them as a kid. That's what stuck with me. You know, years and years later, mm-hmm. I can remember these narratives. So using it to tell a story, I think, is is really fun. So I'd probably say from a philosophical level, yeah, using it as a form of expression. It's interesting when I was uh, studying piano early on. Um, well, actually, I started when I was really young, but my mother actually had me doing, had my, told my teacher that I needed to learn like the songbook from Sound of Music. Uh, it, that beautiful. wasn't your thing. Not then. Today, I get it. But back then, it wasn't. So it, eh, I kind of trailed off on that one and and picked up the electric bass guitar to to play rock and roll, but um, <laughs> to, to go a little bit different direction from what your mom. <laughs> yeah. I got back into piano in the, my twenties, but okay. yeah. So what I really enjoyed doing was the Hannon exercises on piano. You know, those. Okay. I feel like it sounds familiar. What are those again? It, it's just, you know, uh, it, it's just scales and exercises. I'm sure I, I really I'm sure my piano teacher them. made me do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But there was this sense and this feeling when my left hand and my right hand became independent of mm-hmm. each other. There's that incredible feeling you get. And then I took it to a place where it's like, how can I make this sound like music, not just okay. exercises? So right. I'm sure in your teaching, there's that place where you've got to teach technique and then you have to take it beyond that, right? Right. Teach the musicality. 
And it almost sometimes that can be kind of a light bulb moment. And sometimes the littles, I struggle more when they're really young to kind of tap into that. Sure. But as they start getting older, trying to kind of realize that connection. Mm-hmm. So a lot of my fifth and sixth graders were probably getting close to that point where we want to make more of that connection. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What else would you like to talk about? What, what, what's really got your attention right now? We talked a lot about, you know, teaching and the, you know, different aspects of the violin and things, but outside of all that, what else has your attention? Outside of music or within writing or? Whatever has your attention. Well, it's kind of funny. I mean, in terms of like writing, I listen to a lot of, yeah, like writing podcasts. So that's something that I always find fascinating. And I kind of like to geek out with other writers who get like, uh, I don't know if you follow Joanna Penn or K.M. Wyland. K.M. Wyland talks a lot about story structure and which I think actually ties back into the music, to be honest. Uh, But I just I love studying, you know, the story structure. And I think when I made my first attempts at my novel, I wasn't really thinking as much about story structure. But when I listened to her podcast, and she kind of talked about, you know, the hero's journey, I just, it made sense, you know, to to think about it in that way. And then I thought about how the hero's journey in writing mirrors the hero's journey in music, uh, because, you see where you, you start them one place, they have to go away from home and kind of come back with that different perspective, right? Uh, and then w- within music, you have that same kind of idea where they start in in the exposition, you go into the development, so you're they're on the journey or whatever, and then they come back to the recapitulation, which is similar to the beginning, but changes. You know, and that's, again, the idea of the change in tune. You, you've gone on this journey and it's changed you as a person. And I'd like to see how that applies to both. And recently, this uh, Kay Wyland, her podcast, she's been talking about the different types of characters. So how you, in the different state life stages that we go through as characters, and even within the different life stages of human life. And she talks about how like our first act is kind of, you know, our youthful act where we're in our 20s or whatever, and we're trying to figure out our lives. And she says, from a a writer's perspective, we kind of just have this joie de vivre. We want to just write for writing's sake, right? And then in the second act, kind of we're in your, you know, 30s, 40s or whatever, maybe 50s, you're really writing with other people in mind, right? You're thinking a lot about your audience. And I definitely related to that where we're kind of, I'm in my second act, if you will, of of life. And then she talked about how in the third act of our lives, now she's, I think, my age. So she's like, I haven't lived it yet, but where you can kind of go back a little bit more to, I'm going to write about what I want. What I want to write about and kind of synthesizing what you've learned throughout the course of your life. That's definitely the stage I'm in. And do you feel like you'd relate to that where at this point, I mean, not that you don't care what other people think of your writing, but just that you can really like kind of let it loose. You can just yeah, latch on well, and yeah. not worry I mean, so as much what people think. Here's, here's one thing I learned at the age of 50. When I turned 50, I kind of, realized I knew what I knew. I knew what I didn't know. And I was happy to talk about either one. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. It's like, I don't know. So tell me. And I was okay. You know, before I would like either think, you know, people that I knew something about it, but I would just come out and say, you know what? I don't really know what you're talking about. Why don't you tell me? 
but the big thing that I, that really happened is, excuse my, it's not French, but you know what I mean? I didn't really, I learned that I didn't really give a shit about what people would think about me. Right. I think it's a huge problem until people get to that place where that doesn't mean you disrespect people or no. it's just be transparent, you know, you know, speak actually, you know, truth or what's on your mind without being hurtful. Right. It's kind of a freedom. I think there's a freedom in that, you know, mm-hmm. that you can enjoy. What I tell people is it's like, Ashley, it would be very disrespectful to you for me to believe that you couldn't handle whatever I would have to say to you as long as it wasn't hurtful. Right. Okay. So along those lines, when you think about music and writing, could you actually apply that to apply that notion to music and writing? In other words, if you're a composer, do you imagine some people get to a place where they've been holding back on an oh, idea yeah. and they just unleash it? Yes. Both writers and think, musicians. Yeah. Like we have to learn the rules first so that we can mm-hmm. break them in a certain sense. And so obviously we have to adhere to certain formulas or whatever that works for a while. But if you've gotten to where you've mastered that, then eventually you can break it so that that's what brings in a lot of innovation too, to, mm-hmm. to music or writing or visual arts, you know, that you can really explore. And you see that with like the 12 tone composers of the 20th century, you know, where they uh, kind of took it, you know, where they played with the math of, of, of music and maybe it doesn't always sound the best, you know, Vaburn isn't my personal favorite sounding, but it's a fascinating, you know, musical, kind of experiment, if you will, that mm-hmm. had a huge impact on the 20th century music field. Is know. there another 12-toner that you really like? I mean, I can't say that any of them did I really like Okay, love That's their fine. music, but I mean, Schoenberg, Webern. I think what's f- interesting, though, this was a weird parallel. My sister, when she was uh, going through music school, she said, I loved the 12-tone because it reminded me of Sudoku, and she loves math, and she loves doing Sudoku puzzles. And she said the 12 tone totally fit with my math brain because it just felt like I was doing a Sudoku puzzle. So I'm not a mathematician type person. So it didn't, you know, quite register as much for me personally during music school in that regard. But for her, it really, you know, that did. Mm -hmm. So I think you really can, this is where some of the creativity comes from when people can just put their ideas out there. They're not worried if it's going to appeal to the masses. They just Mm -hmm. want to try a new idea. You know, which is which is fascinating. Now, there are reasons certain formulas work, you know, within story structure and music. If you deviate too much from them, that doesn't mean you can't. But it also means you're you realize it's not going to appeal necessarily to the masses or or whatever. But when you can reach that point where if that's not essential to you, if you're more interested in the development of the idea, then you can come up with something new. Yeah. There's something that has my attention, both in music and writing and creativity in general, generally. Yeah. Um, I'm going to ask you about the hook. At the beginning? Well, whether it's in music or whether it's in writing, I'll give you an example. Is there's, I actually have a playlist of music that I think has a really good, clean, clear hook. It's like, what is that? What is, what, how do you... Like the write a hook, 
yeah, yeah, just the hook. There's something that hooks people into a song, something yeah. that hooks people into a novel. Can you talk about that a little bit, what you think? That's a great question. I feel like, ironically enough, I feel like I can identify with identify it more clearly in writing than in music to put into words. You know, in writing, I've studied the hook where it's like you've got to have it at the beginning. You've got to have something right away that piques our interest. You know, you can't start a 21st century book with a giant backstory for, mm -hmm. you know, the first third of the novel like Victor Hugo could do, right, <laughs> in the mm -hmm. 19th century. Mm -hmm. It worked then, but it, it doesn't work now. You've got to put them in medias race, right, for the writing. You've got to be in the middle of something, whether it's the battle scene or it's a big concert or, you know, a relationship problem or something. You've got to drop your readers right there in the meeting in the middle from the beginning. I think also because our our audience today, we we aren't going to sit through yeah, a hundred pages of backstory. You've yeah. got to catch them right then, or they're going to pull up TikTok and <laughs> Instagram and whatever else. Now in music, for me, it would be like well, either a, a baseline, you know, that's just really catchy, that kind of is repetitive or a, or a melody that just really mm -hmm. speaks to me or comes back. Um, I wouldn't call myself a great music writer yet. I would like to do more of that. I, I'm, I'm good at improvising, though, so I can make up things if I've got a good person playing a chordal foundation on, you know, guitar or piano or something. Uh, but to really get that hook that makes it a connect with everyone, I mean, it's either some kind of a melodic line that just really speaks to you, or it's kind of that just catchy bass, like if it's a dance song, you know, and you're like, this is dumb lyrics, and there's no change in, in the song, but man, that rhythm and bass line just it works, you know, yeah, that can be a hook. I don't know what it is. What, what is it for you? Um. Well, I'm less aware of what it is in writing. Oh, okay. You're the reverse then. <laughs> but when it comes to music, I know a hook when I hear it. That's for sure. But how do you how do you know? Is it just intrinsic or is there something like technical you can put your finger on? It seems to be intrinsic if I understand what you mean. Kind of like an X factor. Like that's where I'm like, I can't always identify. Sometimes I can. Like it's it's the melody line or it's the... Rhythm, but. There's a couple different musicians I've been talking to them about, you know, and it's like, what's the formula? Well, right. I don't know that there is one. I'm not convinced there is one. I think it's an it's an idea that seems to be unique. And like you say, and like in music, my experience is, especially with jazz, is the hook usually comes later. Yeah, it's usually not right at the beginning, whereas no. writing, you you got to have it there at the beginning. Yeah, so it's usually, it gets to a place of development, you know? Yes, I would agree with that. For Miles me. Davis, like yes. um, the Blue album, you know, it's um, it's in there all over the place. But it in music, uh, you have a tendency, I have a tendency to feel like I'm being led somewhere mm -hmm. where... I can't wait to hear what happens next. Mm -hmm. And then the hook happens. And then, Which is weird that it does come later, though. Don't you think that is interesting? Yeah. That is where music and, and writing I think it's the different. nature of jazz, uh, specifically. With jazz, yeah. it's like, you know. It's there's, progressing. Yeah, there's a sax player, Tony Ortega, is in his 90s, and he plays here on Sunday nights with a really good jazz band 
pianist lives oh, nice. across the street from me. And oh, awesome. uh, oh, this guy, uh, Tony's in his 90s and he knows what a hook is and he scats. He scats in his 90s. Wow. Oh, yeah. And it's really, really good. So, That's you know, I, I, I do a lot of video recording when I'm there. I'll probably send you something. Oh, yeah. You should send that to me. My grandma, she's in her 90s and she's still practicing away on her piano and she's wow. still publishing books. And so, you know, I'm always amazed by the 90 year olds that are just, yep. you know, they're motivated, they're driven. And yep. Yeah. Well, isn't it nice to know you have that blood? Yes. <laughs> I, I hope I have her tenacity, man. She's she had ten kids. Well, <laughs> you don't have to do that. Writer, maybe you can do. Yeah, 10 I have two. That's. <laughs> but yeah, she uh, she's she's a superwoman. That's for sure. Okay, so let's wind this up. How do you? How would you like to leave it? Uh, you know, what uh, is there anything you think people need to know, or is there a book in particular that you've been reading that you really think people might want to read or? Well, I think just examining kind of like we were talking about what stage of the journey are you at in your own story, right? Mm -hmm. Are you in your first act? Are you in your second act? Are you in your third act? Mm -hmm. And how do you see yourself kind of changing within within that within that area? And again, I, I'm going back to Kay Wyland. She was really the reason I got back into writing. So I would recommend any of her books. She does uh, story structure. She does um, a book on character development. And right now her podcast has been dealing with like the maiden arc, the hero arc, going into the second act with you have like the queen and king arcs and then the third act of your life, kind of more the crone and the mage, the mentor type arcs. Yeah. And so thinking about which of those stages are you in and how can you use that to to affect your, whether it's your musical or your writing, self-expression uh, and how mm -hmm. you relate to other people in that regard. Well, relationships, that's actually mm -hmm. at the forefront for me is how I relate with people. All right. So great. So I'm going to do the best I can to make sure all the massive references in this episode and links are in the show notes. It'll probably take six months to get it out. Oh, no. <laughs> but oh, wonderful. Uh, it's just been really a pleasure. You really just... I just love talking to you. I'm probably going to have to. Well, I love again. talking to fellow musicians who get all these references. And <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, who know what a tr tritone is. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So everybody else out there, this is whathasmyattention.com. That's the name of the podcast. And uh, now that podcast, audio podcasts are everywhere, all we need to tell you is you can get this podcast and so much more anywhere you get your audio. And Ashley, thanks again for being here. Talk to you soon. Oh, my huh? pleasure.